welcome to the horrendous podcast the podcast that almost did not get made tonight due to technical difficulties brought to you by elizabeth that's okay i didn't know how to switch my audio not my audio my speakers mic and speakers on zoom because i am technologically challenged i can do the basics Callie is invoking the spirit of the dude. Yes. Drinking a white Russian today. Yes. In honor you can't of, see it, but I'm going to show you. In honor of Jeff Bridges and his fight against non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm-hmm. So what's up? <laughs> yeah. So I guess the first thing I want to talk about is editing the last episode. Yeah. So... My first big fear is mirrors. You know that. I'm afraid I'm going to look in a mirror, somebody's in behind me, or my reflection is going to do something that... It's valid because I'm still that person who, when I get up to go pee in the middle of the night, I do my damnedest to not look in the mirror while I'm washing my hands. Like, I can't do it. I, like, head down, hands wash, flip the light off, and run to my bedroom before the demon (laughs) of the dark can get me. Yes. So that's my first big fear. This story has nothing to do with mirrors. Already known. Uh, My second biggest fear, especially after I started editing, is what if I'm recording something and I hear something in the background that I can't explain? Uh So I pulled almost an all-nighter editing episode four. And let me say, you are a champion of champions for doing that appreciated it was a lot of coffee and amaretto and it's okay because we were texting intermittently as I am an insomniac and I kept waking up and getting your updates and texting you back and going back to sleep and that's fine too (laughs) that's friendship yes (laughs) so as I'm editing it I hear something in the background and it's my audio so I muted Elizabeth and I'm listening I'm like what's that saying? And I made Nolan listen to it, which is my son. And my husband, Jake, had him listen to it. And Nolan agreed with me with it being really quiet that it almost sounded like Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's weird. Somebody must have came out of their bedroom and said something and I didn't notice. So I'm trying to amplify it. And I finally, I spent like 15 minutes trying to amplify it. Finally, I figured it out, but I had my volume all the way up because I was listening to this really light recording, Mm -hmm. volume all the way up on everything. It was an episode of Ghost Hunters. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I pressed play with my headphones on. It was so loud and it said, did I scare you? And like, I was crying. And you're like, and, like hell yes, shaking. you did. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, what is that? What is that? <laughs> so then I made, like, I threw my headphones. Yeah. Then I had Nolan listen to it. I was like, what do you think it said? And he's like, kind of looked at me. And I said, did it sound like, did I scare you? Here, listen to it again. Like, I wasn't trying to put that idea in yeah. his head. But he was like, no, that's definitely what it sounded like. Jake listened to it. 
And again, he's like, it kind of sounds like me. I can't tell what I'm saying, though. And like, I'm convinced it said, did I scare you? Now, these headphones are noise canceling. Yeah. If you were to walk in and I didn't see him, Mm -hmm. it would have made me jump. Yeah. So it was just like, that made sense in my head. I'm like, okay, it was probably just Jake. So then today I was telling him before we started recording you know, don't come in here and say, did I scare you again? And he said, I didn't say that. I was like, yes, you did. You said it sounded like you. (sighs) Either way, now he's claiming it wasn't him and I'm a little freaked out again, but it will be fine. (laughs) Okay. So here's my story to go along with that. So I woke up to your text of saying, my worst fear happened and about 20 things went through my head. Cause I'm like, okay, what are all the things that Callie is terrified of ever happening? And that's why I texted you back. What? Oh my gosh. What or whatever, you know, whatever I said. And then you said, I heard a voice that wasn't us while I was editing. And you told me, you know, what happened and what it said and everything. So here's the thing. When I was listening to the episode, when you sent it to me before, you know, you, well, normally I listen to it before you upload it, but because of, you know, Thanksgiving and all that and you having to work, I wasn't able to this time. I don't know. So, okay. So I don't know if I dreamed of hearing it or if I actually heard it, but Either way, it was either in my dreams or it actually happened and it freaked my shit out. I was terrified. So, cause it was like at five o'clock in the morning when you, we were texting, well, five o'clock, my time, three o'clock, your time. Mm-hmm. And I like texted you back and I was like, Oh God, that is scary. And I like went immediately back to sleep <laughs> after we were done texting. And so I don't know, again, I don't know if I dreamed hearing it or if I actually heard it, but it has stuck with me. <laughs> the last week (laughs) so yeah I definitely edited it out so okay I dreamed it then yes (laughs) but which was what I thought the case was so I yes I blame us texting each other at the wee hours of the morning for me dreaming that I heard it so what I can do though is I can go I still have all the data and everything. I can yeah. go back into it and clip it and put it yeah. on our Patreon. Do it. That that would be awesome. Yeah. Okay. Do that. Speaking of Patreon, I did upload all of the episodes except for episode one, I believe, ad free, which episode one, I think, well, I think the episodes, the, the ad automatically plays for Anchor now at the beginning of it because mm-hmm. we added it. So all of the episodes with the exception of episode one, because I have to go back and find it in my email are on the Patreon page and at any level you can listen to them. <laughs> I did add a limited tier for $30 to for like, it's a 10 people limit. You pay $30. Not only do you get to quote sponsor an episode, we give you a shout out at the episode, but you also pick the topic for that episode. And once it fills up with 10 donations, we'll, we'll close the tier out. So if you are interested in doing that, please do. All week, probably for the last six, seven days, I hit my data cap 
for my cell phone plan, which apparently other cell services, they get unlimited data. And yeah, we have unlimited data. Who do you have? I have Sprint. Sprint only gives me 10 gigs. We have Verizon, so that's why. So I hit my cap again. I hit it last month too, but I was watching like election coverage and everything. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. This month, I have no idea how I hit it, but I hit it and I'm getting people sending me pictures and they're not downloading. (laughs) I had customers ask me questions about product and usually I just Google it so I can see a picture or whatever just to help them. Well, I kept pulling out my phone and going to Google and then I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. I have no data. Let me go to the store computer. Hey, I'm living in 1995. (laughs) Callie's favorite year. Sure. I don't know. No, it's not. I mean, what year did the craft come out? That's Callie's favorite year. I feel like it was probably 94. All the best things happened in 94. Corn became a band. I'm going to use my unlimited data (laughs) to give it a go. 1996. I was a year off. There we go. Well, you did it. You proved that there can be life without uh, data. I remember those days. Well, then the thing that sucked about it, like when I was home, because I'm connected to Wi-Fi, like with everything that's going on with like election stuff with COVID, I don't want to make the podcast about any of that stuff. But either way, I like being in the know. I like to know what's going on. So I'm at work and people keep saying things about what's like current events are happening. And you're wanting to give it a goog and you can't give it a goog. Wait, what? What? I don't know. (laughs) And I always know. So when I was home, all I was doing was Googling things like, oh, what happened today? Let me read the news. Let me do this. So it's a very unproductive week at home. There's something to be said about being off the grid. You get a lot of, you know, a lot of reading done. I possibly cleaning. No, I didn't no, do that. Okay, that's fair. I wanted to do that today and it didn't happen. All right. So what's new with you? Well, aside from adopting the dog, really nothing. I mean, it's been pretty boring. I have some feeling. <laughs> okay, here's the part of the episode where Elizabeth again tries to get sued by somebody. I have not ever proclaimed this out loud on podcasts, but any, anybody else who knows me knows I have a really probably almost inappropriate crush on Harry Styles. Right. I, I adore him. He's so goddamn talented. I mean, the audacity. He's just, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. He's, he's so talented and he's so handsome. It's just absurd. And I feel borderline creepy about it because he is like 20 something and I am 33. I mean, I guess it's not really that creepy. It could be worse. He could be a teenager. Right. Um, if he was a teenager, then the crush would not be there. Let me say that and make it very clear. It is because he is of legal consenting age that I find him so goddamn attractive. He's just adorable. He's a doll. I love him. <laughs> I'm sure everybody knows he did a uh, Vogue. What well, is Vogue, right? Did I think so. Shoot. He was the first male to be on the cover of Vogue, I believe. Or first male to be in a dress on the cover of Vogue. 
I haven't had data, so I don't know. Okay, what? Give it a look. It up. He can he can pull off a dress. Let me tell you, he looks way better <laughs> in a dress than I ever will in my entire life. Even at my thinnest, he looks fantastic. I still find him extremely attractive. Like I don't care. <laughs> like I love it. I love it. Then came Candace Owens. Ugh. Who, how do I say this? Like, she's just famous basically for hating herself. Yeah. Like, for a woman of color to hate other people of color so much, it's infuriating. But whatever, that's on her. I'm not going to get too into it. I don't want to get political. We try not to do that on here. Mm-hmm. She made some really absurd videos. And I'm just like, get a fucking life. Him wearing a dress on the on a magazine cover does not hurt you. It does not affect you. It does not have any bearing on your life. It's not taking from you. So why does it matter to you? Okay. You're a beard for your husband, essentially. So I don't know why Harry Styles, who you've never met before wearing a dress is a problem. You know, it should be a problem. The fact that Ghislaine Maxwell still has not been brought to trial and made to release all the information that Jeffrey Epstein had when he was sex trafficking children. That should be what you're pissed off about, Candace Owens. Anyway, there's a lot of other things. (laughs) Do you want to know how I, like the first time I ever heard of Candace Owens? What? So Whole Foods every day. I knew it. I knew it was Whole Foods. Whole Foods every day was trending on Twitter. And I'm like, Jake, why is this trending? He's like, I don't know. Let's click on it. And it was her upset because she goes to Whole Foods every day and now is being forced to wear a mask. This was like in April. And I was like, Whole Foods every day? I mean, that's a bit excessive. I mean, I go to Target every week but every day i mean right wow i have anyway i don't want to give her too much energy i just had to say that because it's just the the shit that people are getting upset about now when it has no effect on their life is Mm -hmm. just ridiculous and there are lots of things you should be getting upset about and that's where i stand on it so i'll be waiting for candace owens to serve me with the libel uh, paperwork if anybody were to do it besides Tom Cruise, it would be her. Oh, I'm surprised I have not had Scientology knocking down my door as of yet because they very much like he's the king of it. Yeah. Um, and they're very litigious. But let me tell you, you can't get nothing from nothing. So mm-hmm. <laughs> there's that. You can yeah. take my car. I don't want it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so that's all the energy I'm going to give to that. But you know what, Harry Styles, keep doing you. You are just chef's kiss. I love you. I can get behind that. Dresses are just comfortable. They are. Jesus wore a dress. Jesus wore a dress. (laughs) He did. Look at any picture of Jesus Christ and he is depicted wearing essentially a dress. You know who else wears dresses? Jedi's. Jedi's well yes they do but they would have pants on underneath their dresses but so did Harry Styles so essentially 
essentially Harry Styles is a Jedi then. That's yeah. what I'm getting from that. Yes. <laughs> that's, all, that's all I got from that is Harry Styles is a Jedi. But you're right. <laughs> Jesus, Jedis, gladiators, yeah. the Greeks, all wore dresses. So that breaks down your argument of manly men not yes. wearing dresses, Candace And Owens. high heels were invented for men to begin with they as were. well. Prince so. wore them yeah. because he was short. Yep, he was. And you know what? Prince got more tail than Candace so Owens. Anyway, than Can- well, no, I don't know really where I was going that Prince, Prince got a lot of tail. That's all. I mean, Prince, master swordsman, as some people would call him. He got a lot of ladies and he wore fluffy blouses and high heels. So, you know, who probably didn't wear high heels? Who? The subject of today's episode. Oh, probably not. <laughs> Callie, who are we talking about today? We are talking about Belle Gunness. Mm. Please tell me I'm saying mm. that right. You are saying that right. And I I was looking at pictures of her while I was doing my notes. And I think this is going to be really like an insult to Kathy Bates. But if there, I'm surprised actually that there is not a movie about Belle Gunness. Yeah. Should there ever be a movie about Belle Gunness, Kathy Bates would be the best person to play her. I mean... Kathy Bates is badass. Yes. Okay. Let me let me say that. I'm not I'm not hating on Kathy Bates doll because she's fucking phenomenal. Again, okay, oh, Mima, I'm Mima. Okay, listen, hold on. Mima, I've swore a lot this episode so far. I'm really gonna try to be good the rest of the episode. I'm so sorry. Anyway, carry on. But Kathy Bates, like that's right up her alley. Like I could see her doing that. Absolutely. So let me just go into it. Tell us about Belle Guinness. And when we say Belle, we're not talking like Belle from Beauty and the Beast. No. Unfortunately not. That's my favorite princess because she read a lot of books. Oh, okay. I respect it. Like I did like that about her. Not my favorite princess though. Mine has to probably be Rapunzel because she carried Uh, a skill and hit people with it. Yeah. Rapunzel, Rapunzel, my hair is starting to get to that length. It is. But back to Belle. Belle Gunness, allegedly the first female serial killer allegedly. in the United States. Uh, Lavinia Fisher. Well, we're going to put an asterisk by both of them because people say it was Lavinia Fisher or I can't believe I forgot her name. The lady we discussed in episode three, St. Louis Urban Legends. I forgot her name as well. But yes. So big asterisk here. It is up for debate. Callie, tell me about Belle. All right. So Belle Gunness was one of the first Black widows and became a prolific serial killer credited with murdering anywhere from 14 to 40 people. Okay. That's a pretty big gap. gap. The first thing I read said 40. The second said 25. Another one said 14, but it was all like 14 to 40 or 25 to 40. It's kind of like H.H. Holmes because he was alleged to have murdered anywhere from like 10 to 200 people. So they fudge the numbers a little bit because they don't know. So she has been nicknamed Hell's Bell 
and Lady Bluebeard. Do you want to talk about Bluebeard for a second? I don't What is Bluebeard? Okay, so Bluebeard was I was very a, confused by that. Was a pirate who married several times. Okay. And every time, I'm pretty sure it's just a story. I don't think it's yeah. fact. Every time he got married, a few days later, his wife would disappear. Hmm. Until the last wife went into a room that was forbidden. It was very mm-hmm. small. And she opened the door and all the bodies of the previous wives were inside. Hmm. So it's really fitting. Yeah. She was an intimidating woman who was six feet tall and around 200 pounds. And after her killing spree, she either died or disappeared in 1980, not 80. Wow. In 1908, Belle Gunness was born Brynhild Paul's daughter, Storset, on November 11th or 22nd, 1859, in Norway. She was the youngest of eight children born to a stonemason and his wife, and her family was very poor. From what I read, they lived in a small farmhouse. And I'm not even going to try and pronounce the Norwegian towns that they lived in. That's fair. According to an Irish television documentary, Belle's personality changed drastically after she experienced a miscarriage when a man attacked her and kicked her abdomen while she was attending a country dance in 1877. That's very sad. It is. The Norwegian authorities, however, did not prosecute the wealthy man who died shortly after, reportedly of stomach cancer, or maybe it was poison and he was her first victim. Either way, he got what he deserved. For sure. Shortly after her attack, Belle started working as a farmhand to help finance her immigration to America. After immigrating in 1881, she worked as a servant. And then she married Mads Zitlev Anton Sorenson in 1884 in Chicago, Illinois. At the time of marriage, Sorenson was a department store night watchman. The couple purchased a candy store, which within a year of its unsuccessful run was gutted down by a fire suspiciously, leading the two collecting the insurance amount with which they purchased another home. Six years later, that house burned down and they once again collected insurance money. Huh. I find that very coincidental. Yes, very coincidental. There's a precedent for arson. Yes, which you will talk more about. <laughs> yes. Some researchers reported that Bell and Mads had four children, Axel Caroline, Lucy, and Myrtle. They also had a foster child named Jenny Olson. Coraline and Axel, whose lives were reportedly insured, allegedly succumbed in their infancy to acute colitis, resulting in payment from the insurance company. With that being said, strychnine poisoning and acute colitis share some 
common symptoms such as abdominal pain. Two life insurance policies on Sorensen reportedly overlapped on July 30th, 1900. So the day that the one expired and the other one started, he was insured by both of the policies at the same time. He coincidentally died on that very day. Although the first doctor who examined him suggested Sorensen died of strychnine poisoning, the family doctor said he was being treated for an enlarged heart. Heart failure became the cause of death and no autopsy was done. Bell told the doctor that she had given her late husband medicinal powders to help relieve him of a cold. Other sources say that Sorensen died from a cerebral hemorrhage. According to Gunnis, he had come home from work with a terrible headache. She said that she gave him quinine powder, a common remedy at the time, and went to prepare dinner. When she returned to check on him, she said he was dead. Bell collected $8,500, which is worth, I actually did my Google beforehand. Good for you. I'm so glad we was on top of it today. <laughs> Which is worth $263,487.86 today. Dang. From the insurance company for her first husband's death. Sorensen's relative accused her of poisoning him to get the insurance money. And according to records, an order of investigation was also given. It remains uncertain whether the inquiry was conducted or whether the body was dug up for investigation. So that is, so far we have the man who caused her to have a miscarriage. Yeah. Two of her children and her first husband. And two instances of arson. Yes, so far. All right, so we got quite the rap sheet already. And we're just getting started. So as soon as she was able to collect the life insurance money, Bell would purchase the infamous farm, which would be called the Gunnis Murder Farm, on McClung Road in LaPorte, Indiana. It was also during this time that she would become reacquainted with fellow Norwegian-born Peter Gunnis, who was a recent widower with two daughters, one who was an infant. Belle would bring Peter and his daughters with her to Laporte with her adopted daughter and another one of her children, where they would be married on April 1st, 1901. Sadly, and very Weirdly and eerily, a week after their marriage, Peter's and daughter would die while alone in the house with Belle. So there we go. We got another mysterious death surrounding her. And although the death of the infant is determined to be unknown, many believe that Belle was at fault somehow. They just couldn't prove how or why. And to even add more suspicion around Belle, Peter would die in December 1902, not even eight months after their marriage. And the version of how he died, Belle's story, is as follows. While he was reaching for his slippers next to the kitchen stove, he was scalded with brine. 
He immediately following this incident, part of a sausage grinding machine fell from a high shelf, hitting him in the head and causing a fatal head injury. And after his death, his brother Gus would come and claim custody of Peter's eldest daughter and take her away from Belle, which would end up actually saving her life in the process. Many people in the community refused to believe that Peter's death was an accident because Peter had been successfully running a hog farm and was an experienced butcher. So the people on the port were not really inclined to believe Peter would have been so clumsy and allowed something like that to happen to himself. After reviewing the case, the county coroner also agreed with this and announced that he believed Peter Gunnis had in fact been murdered. Subsequently, a coroner's jury was called to look further into his death, and it was at the same time that 14-year-old Jenny, Belle's adopted daughter, which I, is interesting because it doesn't really say how she, we never really get any information on how she got custody of Jenny. She wasn't a family member's child. She just kind of seems to be this child that ends up in her care. Right. So 14-year-old Jenny was allegedly overheard telling a classmate, my mama killed my papa. She hit him in the head with a meat cleaver and he died. Please don't tell a soul. Which is really sad. For to be a 14-year-old, like, and I understand being 14 during that time is very much different than being 14 when we were 14. Right. But to have witnessed essentially your father figure being murdered. And and I believe she was also in Belle's care around the same time as the death of Sorensen as yes. well. So she is a child who's probably seen a lot. So it's just that just made me really sad. And so because of this alleged confession, Ginny was brought before the coroner's jury for questioning, at which time she thoroughly and vehemently denied that she ever said this. And it was during this inquest, Gunnis was also able to convince the coroner she was innocent of any crime. And the coroner ultimately bought into all her proclamations of innocence and the inquest was closed. Interestingly, she found out she was pregnant at this time with her child with Peter. And you would have thought she would have brought this up as a sympathy play, but she never said anything about it. Because she was just trying to poison the baby. Exactly, right. During this time, she did find out she was pregnant and she would give birth to a son named Philip in May of 1903. Three years after the inquest regarding Peter Gunness's death, Jenny would no longer be seen at the farm. And there would be different accounts depending on who Belle talked to of what happened to Jenny. She told most of the neighbors that Jenny had gone away to Los Angeles to a Lutheran college and then she told, and then Belle told others that Jenny had gone to a girls' finishing school. But either way, Jenny was never seen coming home to visit or anything, which people thought was weird, but they didn't really question it too much. Also, in the same year, Belle would start placing advertisements in the personal ads, then called the matrimonials of Chicago and other large Midwestern city papers. So basically, before the internet, if you wanted to meet somebody, you would put an ad in the paper. It was called personal ads. That's and what I had to do this week, and it's been awful. It was prior to Tinder, Grinder, Christian Mingle, Plenty of Fish, Match.com. Yeah, there we go. So basically, before your Match.coms and eHarmony and all that, you had to actually write up an ad 
take it to a newspaper and pay for it to be placed in the personal ads. And so the ad that Bell would place was as follows. A comely widow, which is, first of all, my first problem with this. She's <laughs> catfishing these guys because by all accounts, she was not a beautiful woman. No. Another one of her nicknames was the Indiana Ogress. I don't know how to say it without sounding shitty because everybody deserves love if you're a good person. She wasn't a good person. Exactly. No matter how you look or whatever. But she was a piece of shit. So by all accounts, she was ugly and she was an uglier version of Fiona from Shrek. So anyway, so a comely widow who owns large farm in one of the finest districts in LaPorte County, Indiana, desires to make the acquaintance of a gentleman equally provided with the view of joining fortunes. No replies by letter considered unless sender is willing to follow answer with a personal visit. Triflers need not reply. So again, basically, she was catfishing them and didn't want no scrubs. She wanted somebody with money. Nev Schulman would have done an episode about her. Okay, and because Belle, because she was still running an actual living, breathing farm, like she was running a legitimate farm, she needed people to help her because it was only her and her kids. So Belle employed Ray Lamphere to assist in the daily chores of the farm. Many sources state he was her sometimes lover and would like between when she was catfishing all these dudes. It is also believed he helped Belle bury the bodies of the men who would ultimately meet their demise at the Gunnis Farm. Following the placement of her ad, many middle-aged men would respond. In 1907, it is believed her first would-be suitor would arrive. John Moe, a Norwegian immigrant, would travel to the farm from Elbow Lake, Minnesota. Mr. Moe arrived in Laporte at the Gunnis Farm with $1,000 to pay off the mortgage for Belle, which is what he told her neighbors and she introduced him as her cousin her reason for that for doing that is because she said she didn't want to be seen as a hoe a hoe she a less than moral woman and a week after john mo arrived he disappeared with no trace and no explanation to those who had met him during his short stay in laporte so we have the two children. We have the guy in Norway who caused her child loss. We have her first husband. We have the infant, her stepchild, the infant of her second husband. We have her second husband and probably at this point, Jenny, her adopted daughter. So that's seven. And now we have John Moe. So we're up to eight. So following the disappearance of John Moe, George Anderson from Turkeo, Missouri, which I looked up where that is and it's very close to, to Kansas. It's in Atchison County. Anderson was also a Norwegian immigrant, much like her husband, Peter Gunness and John Moe. Anderson would also in, end up being the only man to escape Bell Gunness. One evening during his visit, Bell brought up the mortgage of the farm. And after a discussion, Anderson agreed that he would happily pay off this debt if they did agree to get married. And that evening, Anderson woke up to a really bizarre sight. In his room, he saw Belle Gunness standing over him with a candle in her hand and a very sinister look on her face, but promptly left the room without saying a word to him. 
going to do that to Jake tonight. <laughs> do it, please, and tell me how that works out for you. It's kind of like when my 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 son does that. He'll like he'll walk into my room and I'll roll over and there's his little bitty face. It's very terrifying. Children are terrifying. Children are terrifying. If you take anything away from this podcast, children are terrifying. Yes. Sure. <laughs> so after this, he was just like, I'm out of here. And he left immediately and returned to Missouri. So he was very smart. But the next visitor would not be so lucky. Ole B. Budsberg. I really hope I said that gentleman's first name correctly. Because it really looks like Ole B. Budsberg. <laughs> um, I do. I, I believe it's Ole B. Budsberg. An elderly widow from Iolo, Wisconsin, saw this advertisement and it appealed to him. He was a widower and he was super lonely. And he had money. So he decided to make the requested personal visit and did this without telling anyone where he was going, including his two adult sons. Didn't Belle request that people not tell anyone where they were going? I believe that she did, which this would come to backfire because that's how everything ends up closing in on her. So he didn't tell anywhere he was going, including his two sons. And not much is really known about his visit with Belle, except he was never seen again. The only other thing people know is that he was last seen on April 6, 1907, when he visited the Laporte Savings Bank to negotiate the sale of a mortgage and drew on this money. After that, he wasn't seen again. And upon discovering what their father had done, Budsberg's sons, Matthew and Oscar, wrote to Bell asking about where their father was, and Bell immediately responded, telling them that she had never even seen him. That's nine. That's nine. Over the course of the next year, many men would respond to Bell's advertisement, visit the farm, and then disappear after withdrawing large sums of money from their bank accounts or bringing large sums of money with them. Her final visitor would be Andrew Helgelian. I'm not saying that right at all. He was also a Norwegian immigrant. He was a bachelor from Aberdeen. He had never been married from Aberdeen, South Dakota. And he responded to Bell's advertisement, and the two began a correspondence in December of 1907. And following that correspondence in January 1908, Andrew would make an ill-fated trip to the Guinness Farm with him, a check from his savings account in the amount of $2,900. Once he arrived, he and Bell went to the Laporte Savings Bank to deposit the funds. It was after this trip to the bank that Andrew Helgelian was not seen in Laporte again. And unfortunately for Belle, this victim would be her undoing as he had informed his brother where he was going and his intentions to marry Belle. So here's my question. She keeps taking these dudes to the same bank. (laughs) Why are these people not questioning this? Maybe that bank has a really high turnover rate. Maybe. And And back then people didn't, I mean, they didn't really care about that kind of stuff. Like it was none of their business. They could just use it for gossip later. So that's number 10. Following the disappearance of Andrew, Bell kept correspondence with two other men, Lon Townsend, a farmer and horse dealer from Topeka, Kansas, who actually had planned to go to visit her in May, but would never make the trip. And then an unnamed man from Arkansas, both, or he never followed through with visiting the farm either. And that's probably for the best. It was also during this time she was allegedly still carrying on a sexual relationship with Ray between 
all of these catfishing schemes, who by all accounts was totally in love with her. He did anything and everything she told him to do, including, as some believe, helping her to bury the bodies of all the ill-fated visitors to the Guinness farm. There was one guy who he described because he was delivering all of these trunks to the farm. And he said he was amazed because she would just carry these heavy trunks by herself when he would drop them off and like just carry them at her side like they were nothing. And he said he was always amazed by that. When I said that she wasn't that she was 200 pounds at six feet, that's a reasonable weight. Like, yeah, I'm sure absolutely. she was probably. And working on a farm, she was strong as shit. Right. So I don't know why she kept a man around to help her. <laughs> if she's she probably, that just probably capable. so she didn't have to do it all by herself. But yeah. yes, being a farm woman, you're six foot tall, 200 pounds. Yeah, you're strong as shit. Right. <laughs> So she's carrying on this relationship with Ray and he's in love with her. Like he will do anything she tells him to do. He also, because of this, became insanely jealous of all the men who were visiting the farm and they began began to have super heated arguments about it to the point that Belle got just tired of it. She wanted to do what she wanted to do and he wasn't going to stop her. So February 3rd, 1908, Belle fired Ray, further sealing the fate of what was going to happen. And despite being fired, Ray would still show up at the farm to the point Bell used this to convince local authorities he was crazy and he was stalking her and convinced them to hold a sanity hearing. And at the same time, Lamphere was also making veiled threats towards Bell. And some of those threats were basically like, hey, if I say anything, the jig is up, like you're in a lot of trouble. But none of them were like violent threats that like that I've seen. They weren't violent threats. They were just basically like. He was trying to blackmail her, right? Yeah, to keep seeing him, you know, or to hire him back, which is still not cool. But he had a lot of information on her and all he had to do was tell the right person who would believe him. And that was the end. So this kind of spurned everything that would transpire next. So, unfortunately for Belle, her misdeeds were catching up to her. And Andrew Helgelian's brother, I cannot pronounce his name, so I'm not going to try, wrote to Belle to inquire after his brother and when, when he had failed to return home. Belle wrote back to him, stating Andrew was not at her farm and had told her he was traveling back to Norway to visit relatives. But his brother refused to believe this and wrote to Bell to inform her that he was going to be coming to Laporte to find his brother, whether she liked it or not. And soon after, it seems that Bell started to really make plans and set the stage for what was going to be her final act. She started visiting her lawyer and kept and was telling him that Ray Lamphere had been making these violent threats against her and had threatened to burn her house down and threatened to kill her. However, while she was reporting this to her lawyer, she never reported it to the police. So that that's that's why a lot of people think that she was just trying to plant a seed so that there would be some kind of finger of blame to point. And that it was like, well, she said he was making all these threats against her, but she never reported it to police. Mm, I think that's where she fucked up. I think that's 100% where she fucked up. So April 28th, 1908, Joe Maxson, who actually had been hired to replace Ray, 
woke up to the smell of smoke from underneath his door. He hurried quickly through the house, calling for Belle and her children. He didn't hear from them, didn't see them. So not getting a response, he jumped from the second story window in his underwear and ran, ran to town to get help. But it was too late. After a search of the property for Belle and her children, four bodies were found in the ruins of the home. So there's two different accounts I've heard. One account is that it was four bodies found huddled together in basically their canning basement. Okay. And the other, and other information I read, it said the four bodies were found in their beds. The three children were found in their beds. And then Belle, well, presumably Belle was found in her bed. So be that as it may, four bodies were found in the ruins of the home. Three being Belle's young children and one being the presumably decapitated body of Belle Gunness. Okay. What I read was children in bed, Belle Gunness in the basement with no head. Yes. She, yeah. So, and they, they did a thorough search immediately after the fire and did not find a head. And so the coroner did measurements to determine whether the corpse could be Belle. And based on the measurements, it was determined and you know, I measurements. And I think they did something else. I can't remember what it was. They determined that it was a female body, but because of the presumed height and weight of the corpse, there was no way it could have been Belle Gunness because it was too short. And they were even even factoring in the fact that she was decapitated. Like they I was going to say. Yeah, no, they were very much taking into account, okay, this is a decapitated corpse. But even if the head were attached, this body would still not be tall enough to be Belle Gunness. Maybe Belle Gunness was just all head. Maybe, maybe, maybe she was a conehead. <laughs> so after the fire, an investigation began and the alleged threats from Lamphere were brought to light by Bell's lawyer. And this led many to believe that he had done this out of revenge for being fired. Despite him arriving to the farm after the fire had been put out and asking the sheriff, did the widow Gunness and her children get out all right? So if this, I mean, okay. It is known that sociopaths, mainly serial killers, but people who commit homicides will show up to the scene of the crime to see the chaos and to kind of see their handiwork. Right. But I think when they do that, they're keeping a low profile. They might engage, ask some questions, but they're not trying to draw a whole lot of attention to themselves. This guy running up asking, hey, you know, did they make it out okay? Like, I don't feel, and again, I'm not a psychologist, so I, I mean, I have no expertise on this, but to me, it doesn't seem like, but on the other hand, you do have family annihilators like Chris Watts, or I mean, we could go down a whole list that were just tears and sobbing. And I can't believe this. I don't know who would have done it. And then come to find out they did do it. So it could go either way, but based on the fact that everything was kind of closing in on her. I really don't think he did it. No. Again, she was planting seeds before all this happened. Me personally, I don't believe the decapitated body was Belle either. Well, and neither did people in town. People in town did not believe that it was her. But the dental work, or so there was, so somebody had said, had the dental work of the headless corpse been located he could have he could definitely ascertain if it was her 
They did find a dental bridge. Yes, they found a bridge and the dentist did confirm like, yeah, that's similar to what I did do to Belle, but they still did not find an actual skull. And so they, I mean, she could have very well knocked the bridge out. I mean, she's desperate to get away. I mean, people will do anything. Right. So they ended up hiring a miner to kind of sift through all of these. Oh, he was hired to buy, to build a sluice and begin sifting the debris. So this is when they found the piece of bridge work and it consisted of two human canine teeth with the roots still attached. So somebody had to have pulled them out. Porcelain teeth and gold crown work in between. So this was identified as the work done for Guinness. And as a result, the coroner decided that, yeah, this, the adult female body found was Belle Guinness. So he went back on what he said, despite the evidence saying, you know, she's too short based on the measurements we're doing and taking into account that, yes, they do not have a head because of that piece of evidence, not even thinking of it like she could have knocked her own fucking teeth out. He decided <laughs> to, or pull her own teeth out essentially like he decided, okay, the case closed. It was her. So then more suspicion started to fall around lay Ray Lamphere, but then Joe Maxson came forward with information that he really, they, that the police could not ignore anymore. He told the sheriff that Guinness had ordered him to bring loads of dirt by wheelbarrow to a large area surrounded by a high wire fence where the hogs were fed. Maxson said that there was many deep depressions in the ground that had been covered by dirt. These filled in holes, Maxson was told were contained rubbish and Guinness was often saw digging there and was often seen other people who had visited the farm prior to Joe being hired when Ray was working there would see Ray helping her with these holes. So they took a dozen men back to the farm and they began to dig. And May 3rd, 1908, the diggers would find the body of 14-year-old Jenny Olson. I already counted her. Yeah, so the, we officially have Jenny Olson, and they found the small bodies of two unidentified children. So there we go. We got two more. 12. Subsequently, the body of Andrew Helgelian was unearthed. His overcoat was actually found to be worn by Lamphere. As the days progressed and they kept working, they made the following discoveries in Gunness's hog pen. They found the remains of Ole B. Budsberg, Thomas Lindbo, who had left Chicago and had went to work for Bell Gunness three years earlier. Henry Gerholt of Scandinavia, Wisconsin, who had went to Laporte to marry her a year earlier and brought $1,500 to her. And a watch corresponding to him was found with the body. Olaf Spin heard from Chicago. John Moe of Elbow Lake, Minnesota. His watch was found in Lamphere's possession. So they basically, she was giving Ray Lamphere all the stuff from these men that she was murdering. And at this time too, the, the Gunness Farm became a sideshow. People would go to watch the digging of the hog pen. It was a sideshow. They began to start selling tickets to hang out there. And there was actually postcards with photos of the farm being sold as well. Is that when they were selling Gunnis stew? Yes. 
Reports of other possible victims also began to come in, being William Mingay, a coachman from New York who had left that city in 1904, Herman Conitzer of Chicago, who disappeared in 1906, Charles Edmund of New Carlisle, Indiana, George Berry of Tuscola, Illinois, Christy Hilfkin of Dover, Barron County, Wisconsin, who sold his farm and came to LaPorte in 1906. So that checks out. That meets her MO. Charles Nieberg, a 20-year-old Scandinavian immigrant who lived in Philadelphia and told friends he was going to visit Gunnis in June 1906. But of course, he never came back. And he had been working for a saloon keeper and took $500 with him. John McJunkin of Coraopolis, which is near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, left his wife in December 1906 after corresponding with a Laporte woman. That's what you get for leaving your wife. Wife, yes. Olaf Jensen, a Norwegian immigrant from Carroll, Indiana, wrote his relatives in 1906 he was going to marry a wealthy, wealthy widow at Laporte. Henry Bizge, B-I-Z-G-E, sorry, I do not, cannot pronounce that, of Laporte, who disappeared in June 1906, and his hired man named Edward Canary of Pink Lake, Illinois, also vanished in 1906. Bert Chase of Mishwaka, Indiana, sold his butcher shop and told friends of a wealthy widow that he, that he was going to look up after his brother received a telegram supposedly from Aberdeen, South Dakota, claiming Bert had been killed in a train wreck. And his brother investigated and found the telegram was fictitious. Tonus Peterson Lean of Rushford, Minnesota, alleged to have disappeared April 2nd, 1907. A gold ring marked SB May 28th, 1907 was found in the ruins. A hired man named George Bradley of Tuscola, Illinois, is alleged to have gone to LaPorte to meet a widow and three children in October of 1907. T.J. Tiefland of Minneapolis, also alleged to go see her in 1907. Frank Reedinger, a farmer of Waukesha, Wisconsin, came to <laughs> Indiana in 1907 to marry and never returned. Emil Tell, a Swede from Kansas City, Missouri, is supposedly supposedly went to Laporte in 1907. Lee Porter of Bartonville, Oklahoma, separated from his wife and told his brother he was going to marry a wealthy widow at Laporte. John E. Hunter left Duchesne, Pennsylvania on November 25th, 1907, after telling his daughters he was going to marry a wealthy widow in northern Indiana. Two other Pennsylvanians, George Williams of Wapawellopin and Ludwig Stoll of Mount Yeager, also left their homes to marry in the West. Abraham Phillips, a railway man of Burlington, West Virginia, left in 1907 to go to Indiana to marry a rich widow. A railway watch was found in the debris of the house. Benjamin Carling of Chicago, Illinois, was last seen by his wife in 1907 after telling her he was going to LaPorte to secure an investment with a rich widow. Can I just say that <laughs> she, she must have had away with words. That's what I'm saying. Because like, she really like catfished these dudes. She really like probably promised them the moon and sun. She probably, I mean, was and maybe she had a really great personality and was fantastic in bed. Like that's the only thing I can think of. Personality through writing can be faked. 
Because I don't think she no, that, actually that's had very true. No, I, that's what I'm saying. I think she was able to like lure these men to come visit her, like by making all these promises, talking about you know talking herself up, and then they get there and it's too late. Like at this point, this is more boyfriends than I've ever had. And same, we all know me. I had a lot of boyfriends. I mean, we know people who had way more than that, but, Ah, um, but no, here's the thing though. Like, so I'm going down this list and a lot of this could be like, some of these were like, they said they were going to go marry a rich widow. Like that's all like, like those legitimately like could be victims. And I, again, let me go back and see if this actually says whether or not. Okay. So yeah, it doesn't say whether they actually found these bodies. It says, alleged maybe they did find bodies and they're just assuming these are the people but i feel like this is kind of like an hh holmes thing because with hh holmes and we'll talk about this because i'm sure we'll do an episode about him i think his myth is bigger than the truth because part of it was he was a master liar and i think people when they were going in and going through the what is called the murder castle Uh, the hotel he built, people were, I think, started just to make things up to put in the paper just because they wanted their 15 minutes of like, oh, this is what I found when I was in there. And he, like, when he was in prison, he said, okay, I only killed like 10 people. But then closer to his death, he started just saying, oh yeah, I killed all these people. So you can't really know if it was the truth or not. So it could be one of those situations where the truth is not really as exciting as the story though she did legitimately still kill a lot of people right including children yeah she was a piece of shit so okay so then abraham phillips was the railway man they found the railway watch and the debris of the house benjamin carlin of chicago illinois was last seen by his wife told her he was going to secure an investment from a rich widow he had with him one thousand dollars from an insurance company and had borrowed money from several investors as well in june 1908 his widow was able to identify his remains from laporte's pauper cemetery by the contour of his skull and three missing teeth yeah yeah well August Gunderson of Green Lake, Wisconsin, Ole Olison from Battle Creek, Michigan, Lindner Nicholson of Huron, South Dakota, Andrew Anderson of Lawrence, Candace, Johan Sorensen of St. Joseph, Missouri. That one I found interesting. Yes, because it is the same name as her first husband. Um, and then a possible victim was a man named Hinckley. Reported unnamed victims was the daughter of Mrs. Witzer of Toledo, Ohio, who attended Indiana University near LaPorte. And again, I think that this is just when it gets kind of bigger than what it was. An unknown man and woman alleged to have disappeared in 1906, the same night Jenny Olson went missing. Gunnis claimed they were a Los Angeles professor and his wife who had taken Jenny to California, though we know Jenny never went to California. No. So that's, I mean quite a bit and most of the remains found on the property really could not be identified and because of the crude recovery method the exact number of people found in the Gunness farm is unknown but it believed to approximately be 12. So again we have a whole list here and again so they can only confirm 12. I th- again I think this is a situation where it's bigger than reality On May 19, 1908, remains of approximately seven unknown victims were buried in two coffins 
and unmarked graves in the pauper section of LaPorte's Pine Lake Cemetery. Andrew Helgelian and Jenny Olson were, are buried in LaPorte's Patton Cemetery near Peter Gunnis. So Raylan Fear actually was arrested for the murder and arson of the, the murder of Belle Gunnis and her children and the arson of the farm. He vehemently denied that he had any hands in what happened, and his defense was totally based on the assertion that the body was not Bell Gunnis's, which I think a lot of people still agree to this day. There's a really good episode of Most Notorious. A gentleman named Eric Rivenis is the host of that show, and he does a lot of these like mysteries and high profile things and he brings people on and uh, who've written books or are experts and they discuss it in one episode they did about Bill Gunness and it was very, very interesting. So I encourage everybody go listen to that episode of that podcast. He has a couple of really good, a really good Jack the Ripper one. So, I mean, just, I, it's worth checking out. He has a lot of great episodes, but the Bill Gunness one was really good. So Lampier's lawyer, Wirt Warden, really was able to bring up evidence that contradicted the dentist identification of the teeth and bridge work. A local jeweler testified that though the gold and the bridge work had emerged from the fire almost undamaged, the fierce heat of the conflagration had melted the gold plating on several watches and items of gold jewelry. Local doctors replicated the conditions of the fire by attaching a similar bridge work to a human jawbone and placing it in a blacksmith's forge. The real teeth crumbled and disintegrated. The porcelain teeth came out, pocked and pitted. The gold parts melted. Both the artificial elements were damaged to a greater degree than the rest of the bridge work, which was offered as the evidence of Guinness's identity. Then Ray's replacement as the hired hand on the farm, Joe Maxson, and another man also testified that they'd seen Klondike Schultz take the bridge work out of his pocket and plant it there just before it was quote unquote discovered. Ray was found guilty of arson, but acquitted of the murder. He was sentenced to 20 years in the state prison and he would end up dying of tuberculosis in 1909. So after all that, they really can't prove whether it was Bell or not. And for decades, she was allegedly seen or sighted across the United States. People apparently saw her on the streets of Chicago, San Francisco, New York, and Los Angeles. And as late as 1931, she was reported to be alive and living in a Mississippi town where she supposedly owned a great deal of property and lived a life of basically luxury. The Sheriff Smutzer would receive her over 20 years and about an average of two reports a month, and she became really a, a huge part of, you know, American folklore. The bodies of her three children were found, but the headless adult, again, she was, ne- they were never identified. And the town was really, I guess, divided by whether or not it was actually her. There was a faction of the town that believed Ray Lamphere did, in fact, kill her and her children. And set the house afire while there was another faction in town that really believed she'd faked her own death, which in my personal opinion, I, I think that's really what happened. And in 1931, and you had texted me about this and I ended up deciding to add it. 
<laughs> just because it was interesting. In 1931, a woman known as Esther Carlson was arrested in Los Angeles for poisoning August Lindstrom for money. Two people who had never known Guinness claimed to recognize her from photos they were shown, but the identification, they could never prove it was really her. And Carlson died while awaiting her trial. The body, which is believed to be that of Belle Guinness, which is legitimately probably not hers, is buried next to her first husband at Forest Home Cemetery in Forest Park, Illinois. So one thing I found interesting, I couldn't make the connection though. So Esther Carlson, Belle Gunness had a victim, Peter Carlson. Uh-huh. I was like, oh my God, the last names yeah. match up. Let me look yeah. more into this. And I, it, the first Esther's first husband was Charles Carlson, not Peter. But I was okay. like, oh my God, that would make just a perfect circle. Weird. Yeah. So in 2007, uh, there was permission obtained from the descendants of Bell's sister to test the DNA of the exhumed body in the Forest Home Cemetery by forensic anthropologist from the University of Indianapolis to learn if this was actually Bell Guinness or not. It was hoped that a sealed envelope on a letter found at the victim's farm would contain enough DNA to be compared to the to what was remaining in the body. But unfortunately, there was not enough DNA there. But they still continue to find reliable sources for, uh, you know, to keep comparing. And they included two additional bodies and have been in contact with living relatives. So maybe I'm hoping because we were able to catch the Golden State Killer with DNA and they were able to catch another, it was a child predator and murderer in Indiana, they were able to catch him fairly recently, I think within the last couple of years due to DNA. And they were able to catch or determine rather catch because he was already in prison. I think he died in prison, actually. The murderer of Angie Hausman, who was, it was a local, it was a St. Louis story it happened when we were in kindergarten. They were able to finally determine and get justice for her through DNA. So with the evolution of DNA technology, I think at some point we will be able to determine whether or not that body is actually Bill Gunness. Didn't, I could have read it out of context because I have weird brain today. That's just what I'm going to call it. But when they opened the coffin of Bell Gunness, didn't they also find like child body parts in the coffin as well? I don't remember reading that, but I, I, most of my information came from Murderpedia. And I did look at that website along with like 20 other ones. Yeah, there was two or three others I looked at, but Murderpedia is where I got primarily a lot of my information. I did also take some information from, and that's why we drink. They did do a Christine Schultz, or not Christine Schultz, Christine Schieffer and Schultz is the other host. I apologize, Christine, if you ever hear this. <laughs> um, Christine Schieffer 
she does the true crime portion of the show. Okay. She covered, she covered Bill Guinness and the, I got some of my information from them. And then I did get some of my information from the most notorious podcast. Mm-hmm. So both are really good episodes. They're worth listening to. So absolutely please go listen to those. And yeah, I, and I'll be sure to post pictures of Belle uh, and the murder farm on the Facebook page and on Instagram as well. So this is interesting. Apparently Gunnis had withdrew most of her money from all yeah, her that, bank okay. accounts. I did, I did forget to mention that. So yeah, she left $750 in her bank account. And that's why they think it absolutely had to be her because nobody would leave with seven, leave $750 in their bank account. That's not necessarily true. She took the rest of the money. She obviously didn't need it. Right. So, yeah. So in April 2008, forensic scientist Andy Simmons revealed that the casket contained the body parts of two children, but not of those who died in the farmhouse fire. Interesting. I don't know. Hopefully, because again, DNA technology keeps evolving. We'll finally be able to determine whether it was Bella or not. I would really love to see that because that's a, that's a mystery that people have really argued about for since the, the fire at the farm. But yeah, I'll be sure to post pictures of her on the social meds. And that also wasn't the first fire that happened on the no. farm. So there is all, and there's also a precedent, as you described, two different places burned to the ground when she was living in Illinois that she collected insurance money from. So there's a precedent of arson and mysterious deaths too. But she also, well, I don't know if it was her, but let's just say it was her. She burned part of her farm before the farmhouse burned down. So yeah. she could collect even more insurance money exactly. from that. And that's what a lot of these black widows do they marry people and, and they take out these insurance policies or the, or these people already have large insurance policies because they're wealthy. And then they end up getting signed, put down as the beneficiary. And then a couple weeks later, oh, they're dead. dead. Yeah. Bill Guinness, she's one that people do talk a lot about, but I thought it would still be interesting to cover her because I honestly, you know, and you know, I love true crime. I, I, I'm very much into history and all of that. I had never heard about her until I listened to, and that's why we drink. I never heard of her until you sent me that outline. Yeah. So I think it's one, she's one that if you're a long time listener to true pod or true crime podcast and you have heard of her, but it's not, if you're somebody who has not really listened to more history based true crime, then you're not going to really know who she is. I only listen to Harry Potter podcasts. Oh, well, good belief for you. <laughs> That's not true. I also listen to like horror storytelling podcasts. You would like the horror movie version. Okay. They will, they watch horror movies and then talk about them. I would probably like that. Yeah. So that is, was allegedly Belle Guinness. I mean, all the terrible shit was totally her. Oh, yeah. Whether it was actually her in the fire or not, we don't know. So I had thoughts. What if she's a vampire and she's still alive today? Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. So just something to ponder. It is something to ponder. 
So Christmas is coming. Yes. You already got your Christmas gift. <laughs> I did already get my Christmas gift. Thank you. You'll be getting yours soon. It'll probably end up being after Christmas by the That's time we fine. get it done and everything. But the reason I bring that up is because our next episode will come out probably right around Christmas. We'll see because we'll because episode five will come out the 13th and then we'll record the following Sunday. I so can for the 19th. So it'll come out the day after Christmas. So it'll still be Christmassy. You'll still be feeling the Christmas spirit a little bit. I can. Mm, No, I can't promise. Don't promise. It's okay. The day after Christmas, you guys will have one last dose of Christmas. A little creepy Christmas, if you will. Not such a happy, merry Christmas, but a creepy Christmas. Don't hurt your head. You already had a headache yesterday. I know. But I, I think if we, we record on Wednesday, not this uh-huh. Wednesday, next, next Wednesday, Wednesday, I might be able to push that out Christmas Day. Okay. Maybe. I right. Again, I can't promise. We'll discuss. I can try. Either way, Christmas Day or day after Christmas, you guys are going to get a creepy, two creepy Christmas stories. Yes. Callie will be doing one and I will be doing one. And we're going to go into a little bit of mythology Yay. We're, we're getting out of the rea- reality for a minute. We're going into some <laughs> weird stuff. So I think you guys will really like that. And then we'll be marching on into the new year with some new episodes. I'm going to try to maybe do a couple side stories during the holidays and upload them to Patreon. If we hit 100 listens on episode one, which we're very, very close, we're six listens away. We will do a Facebook Live. We haven't decided what we're going to do with that Facebook Live, but we're going to do something. And I also, I've been thinking about this and Callie, I'm just kind of springing it upon you. If I don't like it, I'll just edit it out. Yeah, if you don't like it, just edit it out. (laughs) I would like to, and this is something I've not talked about, but Callie, you are definitely aware of it. My cousin has a son who beat stomach cancer, a very rare form of stomach cancer. Um, got to ring the bell at the Children's Hospital in Chicago um, when this was two years ago, was in remission. And unfortunately, the beginning of October, they found some um, inoperable tumors in his brain and on his spinal cord. And really, they can't do a whole lot for him, sadly. But I bring this up because I would like to do some por- some sort of live stream for donations to donate to the children's hospital that has been treating him because they do a lot of wonderful things. And I think it's very important to keep furthering the research. And he's still fighting the good fight, but you never know what's going to happen. And so I think it would be a wonderful thing if our horrendous family could come together and do a live stream and, you know, get some donations and make a donation uh, from the horrendous, horrendous family and in my cousin's name. Let me look into that. I might, people do donation drives for hospitals and stuff on Twitch all the time. Yeah. That's something we could probably use the Twitch channel for, which I did set up. So let me look into that. 
Yeah, that would be awesome. Not something we have to commit to right now, but I just think it would be something really cool to do and help some, potentially help some other people. I'm all for that. So, yeah, kind of ended it on a down note. Didn't mean to do that. Go check out pictures of the new horrendous puppy. He's adorable. He is adorable. Christmas is coming. Be nice to people. Wear your mask. Wear your mask. While you're out shopping, wear your masks. And be nice to the people who are checking you out. Also, put your cart back in the cart corral. Or helping you in the store. Or giving you your... And please, you know, be kind to food service workers. They can't help it that the line is wrapped around the drive-thru. That is not something they can control. A smile and a thank you is all they really need. They don't need your bullshit. So please be kind. Just be kind to people in general. It just would make the holiday, not just during the holiday season, but every season. But especially right now, because this holiday season is particularly difficult for many, many people. So with that said, Callie, you want to take us out? First of all, you can yes, find I us at, <laughs> you can find us at Facebook, facebook.com slash horrendous.podcast. You can find us on Twitter at horrendous pod. You can find us on Instagram at horrendous.podcast. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash horrendous.podcast. Horrendous podcast. Just horrendous podcast. No dot on that one. If you have any questions, concerns, commentary, anything, suggestions, you, suggestions, you can email us at horrendous.podcast at gmail.com. That will all be in the show notes. Yes. Email us. We would love to hear if you guys have story suggestions. Yes. That would be awesome. And with that, this has been horrendous. Bye, besties. Bye. Thank you for listening. Thank you. While you're still here, I would like to tell you about two new partners that Horrendous Podcast has. The first one is the Mud Honeys, and they sell really awesome t-shirts and a lot of other things. All the shirts that they make, they print in-house and it's really awesome check them out the website is www.shopthemudhoneys.com and use discount code besties at checkout for 15% off the second one is malicious women company and they have really awesome candles and bath bombs and cosmetics all those things I love. Check them out at www.maliciouswomenco.com and use discount code horrendous10 for 10% off your order. We hope you love these companies as much as we do, and please be sure to check them out. Thank you.